This is Pop Fiction Women. I'm Corinne. I'm Kate. And we're complicated. Blunt. Total boss. But sometimes a mess. Opinionated. But never boring. And in this podcast, we're discussing the complicated women of the best books, TV, and movies. Along with the complicated women behind the scenes. Warning, lots of spoilers ahead. So come back when you're done. Hurry up, it's starting. The poetry episode. Probably something I never expected that we'd be doing. Let alone (laughs) me personally and definitely not on this podcast either. We're going to talk about poetry today. This is a little outside our comfort zone. It is, although it's grown on us. I think yes. I think that's safe to say for both of us. A hundred percent, yes. These actual poems, and then I I mean, I know I'm I think I'm speaking for you too, but it the whole idea of poetry and the role it's played in my life and what it can do for me has really I've it's really grown on me in these weeks since we decided to do this. Absolutely. And I know we're going to talk about that, that we we both sort of came into it thinking, "Mm, yeah, we don't really poetry. I could take it or leave it. And now. Oh, no, no. I was like, I do not want to do poetry. Yeah, actually, yeah. Cheers was a little more adamant. And then I, you know, you had introduced the Kate Bear book when it came out. What kind of woman? What, What kind of woman? And then Amanda Gorman, obviously, I think really pushed us over the edge. Right. Yeah. Yes, yeah. poetry is clearly having a moment, but mm-hmm. we did have this idea even, I feel like, before that, and then just sort of, yes. oh, I think the stars aligned and there were more signs that this was something we should do. Isn't it crazy when that yeah. happens? Although we've also now realized poetry's been having a moment without us yes. paying attention to it for a long <laughs> I just, time. I was just going to say, some people listening would be like, hey, ladies, it's been having a moment. You just haven't been listening. No, the stars aligned for us, us. and poetry, yeah. not mm-hmm. the world and poetry, which has clearly been on board for a while. Right. Yes. Well, which will be evident from these like Insta poets we're going to talk about with millions of followers. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's been having a moment without us. Do you want to talk about what, like how it came up? I just found the, I think people just had been posting about the What Kind of Woman, Kate Bear's book. It was really more what people were saying about it and more importantly that it was an instant New York Times bestseller. And I thought, what? Huh, yeah. Mean, <laughs> this book, a book of I'm, poetry? Book of poetry by a woman, the title of which is What Kind of Woman, and then a lot of female authors that I follow were saying, you know, singing its praises. It was a goop book club pick, just really buzzworthy. And that's what first caught my attention. And, you know, I said to you, what, what about, what about this? I mean, what if we, and I had no idea what we would do with this. I mean, it's not like when, when one of us normally suggests a book uh, to cover, but I thought there each one of them was sort of a little self-contained story and the themes are things that I think we're both interested in. So that's what it first sort of came up. But then you you took it, you had different ideas about the crystal ball, right? Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, I just saw it as a way to be really creative. I thought maybe if we infused ourselves into the poetry, that, that would be more of an interesting conversation to be having. And for me, that was focusing on the crystal ball. Mm-hmm. So reading a poem and writing a story about that woman, who, where you think that woman is after that poem, whether it's six months, five years, whatever it is, like we do with crystal balls. 
which I thought was it, such a cool idea. Yeah, I didn't know then, what the hell to do with it. I was scared yeah. when you said it, but I was like, oh, <laughs> this is interesting. And not just Cape Bear. That was your other point, which I thought was a good one, that there are, you know, maybe we check out some of the others that, that people rave about because she's certainly not the only one and we're not covering all of them either, but we've picked a few that are buzzworthy, if you will. Yes, and that have spoken to us at times. I think the only, I mean, I almost forgot it was poetry because sometimes you just see a quote on Instagram and you think it's a Instagram quote and yes. you forget that it, that's actually poetry. And the first ones that ever spoke to me were from Naira Wahid and hers were all over Instagram a couple of years ago and I had reposted some myself. So I was into that. And then obviously Rupee Core is everywhere as well. Mm -hmm. So we decided to focus on those three. And then Amanda Gorman, just with the inauguration, we don't have her book out yet, but certainly sort of pushed us over the edge. And her style is so different from the other three that we're talking about today. I feel like she is just so she's more of a hybrid of music right that her spoken yeah. word is so is lyrical very lyrical and her just her voice is so infused with hope I would assume she could say like we're all gonna die and the world is ending and just the way she says it her delivery yeah. is really magical it really is in her hand gestures mm -hmm. oh, they're so beautiful I feel like they it looks are. like she's conducting an orchestra that's a good one I I think of ballet it's like the oh. grace and flow of ballet to me uh, it's just beautiful yeah I mean the youngest inaugural poet in history appearing at the Super Bowl I mean she's making uh, that's amazing history over I... and over and so this group of people has a a nickname that people have mixed feelings about you mentioned it before insta poets mm -hmm. and i heard rupee Kaur say that it really depends on who is saying it and it uh -huh. reminded me of some of our conversations yeah about the word brave that we had with christy tate mm -hmm. and allison wood and it really the context really does matter and who who is saying it because rupee said is it meant to be sexist and dismissive or is it kind of a, a shortcut to discussion for like, let's talk about how poetry is taking hold and how people are relating to it. And then in that way, she doesn't see it as a bad thing. So it matters it a lot. It does matter. Yeah. It depends on, on the context. But to me, I just think it's amazing that there is this social media platform <laughs> that has allowed their work to get out there. I mean, whatever you, so I only see it as a positive that, right. that now poetry can be for, I don't think it's a problem to say for the masses. It's just, right. it's, it, it's more accessible to people yes. now in that way. And like I said, I mean, these people have millions of followers, which is fantastic. And, and before mm -hmm. Instagram, would their voices have been heard in this way by so many people? Probably not. And and also though, it's they're selling books. It's it's not just you know their their memes on on Instagram. I mean, Rupee's first book, I think it debuted number one on the bestseller list. It sold eight. This is Milk and Honey sold eight yeah. million copies. I mean, that's really impressive. And it's it still <laughs> like I think as of last week or two weeks ago when I checked. Milk and Honey was number nine on the paperback trade fiction list, and it's been on for 175 weeks. Yeah. I, I mean, that's 
pretty. Yeah. And every time awesome. a new book comes out, the other books come back on. Come back on, yeah. Because yeah. then mm-hmm. her new collection, Homebody, was number two. Yeah. And and had been on for 10 weeks, you know, since its debut. And that, like I said, was a couple weeks ago. And she's got over 4 million followers. I said, as I said, Kate Bears, what kind of woman was an instant number one New York Times bestseller? There's an audience. Yeah, absolutely. And and I feel very proud to be part of that audience. Now, listen, there are people who have studied poetry who this is never going to speak to them. It probably will just not interest them but for someone who found poetry inaccessible and a barrier to an entire art form that has opened my eyes I don't want that barrier I want that barrier down so this is my entryway and I Mm -hmm. can't be mad about that now other people can and I'm I'm a purist in, in other ways certainly not in anything relating to poetry and I am a purist in certain ways and I wouldn't want something to be more accessible you know, if I think it's it's watering down the form, but I have to say I'm on the other side of it and I see that accessibility has helped me open a world that I would never have seen before. I, for one, I'm very grateful for it. Yeah. So what would normally be our scenes episode, right. as segment mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. is poems and we've picked the first one moonsong sure sure yes yes definitely okay so the first one is moonsong by kate bear you are not an evergreen unchanged by the pitiless snow you are not a photo a brand a character written for sex or house or show you do not have to choose one or the other a dream or a dreamer the bird or the birder You may be a woman of commotion and quiet, magic and brain. You can be a mother and a poet, a wife and a lover. You can dance on the graves you dug on Tuesday, pulling out the bones of yourself you begin to miss. You can be the sun and the moon, the dance of victory song. I know, I loved that one. And I loved that a woman of commotion and quiet and just... She's just showing the contradictions and the ways in which we shouldn't be labeled or put in a box. And that is exactly what we talk about on here. So I've, I always loved that one. Yeah. I mean, that is a big one for me. And I was going to talk about it in what she said, but I forgot that it was the quote I had was Kate talking about this particular poem. And she had said, after the birth of my first child, I was shocked to feel a flattening of my selfhood, as if assuming the heavy mantle of mother had erased my individuality. And Mm -hmm. I know for me, that is exactly how I felt when I had children. So Mm -hmm. that that really spoke to me. And she said, Moonsong is a beautiful refusal to submit to cultural erasure. And the poem feels especially poignant now when mothers are being asked to subsume vital parts of ourselves so we can serve our families, she's talking about during the pandemic, whether it be as caretakers, educators, or otherwise. And Kate said, Daniel Tiger says it best when he sings, you can feel two feelings at the same time and that's okay, she tells me. You can love being a mother and also want to be away from your children. You can love your husband selflessly and also desire independence and equity in marriage. You can be a poet and watch trash TV on Friday nights with a bag of chips. Motherhood (laughs) often asks us to choose either or, but I'm learning I can have both. Oh, I love that. 
I know. And that was what she was talking about for this poem in particular. And it, all of it just really spoke to me. As you know, this it's, it is a basic tenet of this podcast is that we're often being asked to, to choose to be either or. And we just don't think that's necessary. Oh, I love that quote from her. Yes, I know. Me nice. too. Really got me. So another one, speaking of rub the wrong way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Go ahead, Female candidate. Sure. Yes. This yeah. is a, a second one from Kate Bear. Yeah, called Female Candidate. I like her, but aggressive tone. It's not that she, now that I have daughters, if only she would, in that short haircut, nothing against the way she dresses, if she wasn't a baby killer. I don't know how he could marry, how she, how she can stand up in those shoes with a child in school. Here comes the feminism. Not enough. Warmth is important. No class is the problem. And anti-woman is the word I would use. Not American if she doesn't. Give glory to. Show some leg. I cannot vote for the kind of woman who has a stick up her, not my kind of girl. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, a, a female candidate, of course, is the name of it. Of course, when this came out, it was around the time of Kamala Harris, her debate against Pence and mm. how I thought her tone was perfect, how I thought even when he was being condescending that she was aggressive but appropriately so and and, right. it, and I had a debate with someone about how you know she has to get that exactly right because oh, yeah. that and that and it drives me crazy because mm -hmm. no male candidate has to think that hard about the way they say things they just have no. to think about the content and the points they have to make mm -hmm. and a woman has to do all of that plus and this is probably the most important thing she has to worry about the way she delivers it the way her facial expressions are, everything so that she doesn't come across as bitchy or too yeah. aggressive and all that. I mean, Hillary is another prime example of, of sure, you know, suffering from that, the likability, all of this, these, and, and this poem, just all these things you hear people say, and yeah. they're about women. <laughs> You're right. There are men who are more aggressive and, and some people don't like them. And then there are men who aren't as aggressive and people don't like them or do like them. It seems for men, likability is more than one thing. And for women, likability is a non-existent thing. It's like, it's, it's only you have to not really be there. Mm -hmm. to be likable as a woman and yes. because but you can't do if you're trying to run for office exactly you can't, you can't disappear the way they want us to exactly or any position of power in, yeah in correct um you know executive function mm, and true. so that is the problem because there are plenty of guys men who are aggressive and people don't like them but that's more acceptable they can look beyond it a or b just they pick a different guy I like this guy because he's not that way mm -hmm. but there we just don't have that plethora of options as women right and that's that's the the part that we keep getting stuck on which is why it becomes this fine line this little tiny space we have to dance in 
to be the way you were describing it aggressive but but not you know not attacking and it's like this you have to walk this line that's really just impossible for any human being to continue to walk but that's what's asked of of women and not of men no yeah so I like that one yeah I like that one too for that I, I wish I didn't. It's one of those things I like, but I don't I, like. <laughs> you you wish know? it didn't resonate quite so much. <laughs> and then we had two more that I thought went together. There was what kind of woman, which was the bus stop. Bus stop, which is Cape Bears. My son asks me to stop saying I love you at the bus stop. No kissing either. Even a side hug is vaguely forbidden. Against my better judgment, I remind him from where he came. I say, I carried you in my womb. I held you every day until you were born. But he only shrugs, says, I didn't ask you to. Mm. Oh. <laughs> but <Kids. it's laughs> same struggle, though, different, different perspective, I think, is first. I do not expect my child's respect just because I have given birth to their life does not mean they owe me anything. What I want most is to look into my child's eyes and see that I have given birth to a heart, have honored, held, and fed someone's heart from the moment we first met, and they love me for this. Which is, I think, it's like one is like the really good day and one is the really bad day, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I I had trouble, I I said to you, with some of the poems about motherhood, which we'll Mm. we'll get into my damage probably when we do the next segment, but, but how they didn't speak to me as much as some of the other ones, which I thought was odd because I am a mother, but, but the... The one you just read, oh my God, I already forgot. Did it have a title? Some of them don't have first, titles. First, first. First, yeah. Mm-hmm. First, though, that one I, I I think spoke to me the most. Like I thought only because I just thought it was such a cool, interesting imagery, like this heart. Mm. I could I could just sort of see that, you know? Yeah. I know. I, I thought that one was really, that, that one I loved. I really did. For, for the motherhood ones, for all the times I said they didn't speak to me, that one I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, and how you don't get, you know, and Kate Bear even acknowledges it in her poem when she says, against my better judgment, I said I carried Mm -hmm. you. And she knows you can't expect much just from that fact because the truth of the matter is, as her son says, I didn't ask you to. So there is both the acknowledgement in both of them that you can't expect a whole lot just for having done that. And that's hard to process, I think, for a mother. Mm -hmm. And it's not even just the time in the womb or, you know, in the body. It's it's more everything after that. My husband says it to me all the time as my kids get bigger. He says, God, you made these people. And I'm like, I make them every day. And that is part of what I give into motherhood. And at some point, they become more shaped by peers, shaped by their own experiences. And yeah, that's what I'm, that's how I sort of feel. Like, I do feel like I made them, but I also am always reminded that that's sort of in some ways all I did and that they are so much their own people and own thoughts and own will and i'm just oh so sometimes i'm 
reminded of the yeah. like I, i've done yeah. this but they are they are them and i don't it's know there's <laughs> only it's so much i can do but absolutely but yeah so it's a it's a it's a conflict all the time there's oh a tension all in that. the time all mm. the time and it's never i never one day feel one way it's it's yeah. all of it it's all of it I mean mm-hmm. both of those things are very true at the same moment pretty much at all times so yes that's yes. fun mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah exactly that's fun <laughs> yeah and oh. then our last one yeah is from milk and honey you said if it's meant to be fate will bring us back together For a second, I wonder if you're really that naive, if you really believe fate works like that, as if it lives in the sky staring down at us, as if it has five fingers and spends its time placing us like pieces of chess, as if it is not the choices we make. Who taught you that? Tell me. Who convinced you? You've been given a heart and a mind that isn't yours to use, that your actions do not define what will become of you. I want to scream and shout. It's us, you fool. We're the only ones that can bring us back together. But instead, I sit quietly, smiling softly through quivering lips, thinking, isn't it such a tragic thing when you can see it so clearly, but the other person doesn't? I loved this one because because I both agree and disagree. And I mean, yes. I for me, that's no, like nothing could be more perfect for me to agree and disagree with the basic premise of, yeah. of one little poem. First of all, this is fate versus free will, which is a concept mm-hmm. and theme we love to talk about. Yep. And I never really thought of the fate aspect the way she's describing it, like how if you totally subscribe to fate that it somehow absolves you of responsibility and of Mm -hmm. choice. I mean, she's sort of chastising people who believe uh, it and literally says that, could you really be that naive? And when you you think about it, it's it's a good point. I mean, it's not as if someone's sitting up there taking their time, like little pieces of chess and the Mm -hmm. five fingers, yeah. And so I did, in that sense, think, wow, I mean, that's a good point, but kind of I think what you're saying I do believe that there is a it is a combination that there are some things that are outside our control that there are is some higher force or fate or destiny mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and something maybe in the universe but that within that we do have free will and we do make choices that alter those things so I think it is a combination I I don't think you should sit around this person thinks and just not choose and go well it's gonna you know fate's working on this you know that'll bring us back together I mean there is hard work and there is making choices and you have to be more active so I loved it though because I thought it was a great way to think of it the whole thing you're right is about a lot about fate versus free will and who else is going to bring us back together if it's not us but the last line just really got me too which just speaks to uh, relationships in general. Mm-hmm. It's such a tragic thing when you can see it so clearly, but the other person doesn't. And just how people will be, I've said this many times, like people are in the same relationship, like having a different relationship or <laughs> having having one conversation and talking about two different things. And that to me is a very scary and sad mm-hmm. and tr- I think she uses the word tragic is perfect thing. Mm-hmm. And it happens all the time. And that yeah. is is tragic to me. 
Yeah. And I, no, me too. Me too. I, I don't, no one escapes this. You can have the yeah. best friendship, the best relationship with your sibling, your parent, whoever it is. And they, there are still times I can guarantee you that you're having two different conversations. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And that, that is just enough. That last line really clinched it for me because it was, yeah. it brought the whole idea to the next level. And then we decided to do, our what's your damage segment we're doing did we say what's what's your theme so for this one what's your theme heather i guess if we're going to call it again it was talking about which poems now we weren't going to talk about a hundred of them but if you read a hundred of them would they all fall into particular categories the ones that really spoke to us and not surprisingly they did yes and and by looking at those, what do you see about your own damage or vulnerability of being a woman? And yeah. did you start yep. to see some patterns? And I sure did. So, <laughs> yes, <laughs> of things that we've talked about a lot on the love episode, but just generally. And and I love that you had grouped them this way, this idea, because I had picked out some that I had already liked. And then when you said you know, let's look at the ones that really speak to you and see if they, you know, show any particular damage. I'm like, oh, geez, well, look at that. I mean, it was just like laid out in front of me. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, mm mm-hmm, yeah, Yeah, same as with the love. I didn't realize it about love, all the things I was particularly drawn drawn to until we started talking about it and having to group them together and see a bigger picture. And like, ah, yeah, this is pretty obvious. Yep. Yep, yep. Yep. So, um, do you want to start with one of yours? Sure. This one didn't come up in the love one, but it's so this one might be my only one that's a little different. But this is Kate Bear, and it's called Robin Hood on page 22. Imagine if we took back our diets, our grand illusions, the time spent thinking about the curve of our form. Imagine if we took back every time we called attention to one or the other. Her body, our body, the bad shape of things. Imagine the minutes that would stretch into hours, day after day, stolen back like a thief. Imagine the power of loose arms and assurance, the years welcomed home in a soft cotton dress. Mm. And this one, I... Beautiful images again. Beautiful images Mm. and really spoke to me it made me think of the discussion we had on our episode luckiest girl alive oh Oh. wait oh Oh. i don't know go 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 i was gonna say about i know what you're gonna say but i was actually thinking (laughs) of untamed where i mentioned that glennon had admitted to struggling you know with diet and all of this and i and i said that it made me feel better that someone who i view to be pretty evolved as glennon doyle still wastes time and admits to wasting time thinking about her body and diet and all that and how I lament how much time I waste thinking about this and this I I I thought it when we did that episode I think about it all the time like what a waste of minutes and she says you're right imagine the minutes that would stretch into hours day after day like why back yeah yes um, why do i waste my time thinking about and we this? and we talked about it on yeah the luckiest girl alive episode with jessica knowles smash mm-hmm. the wellness industry yep. essay op-ed and yep. she was like let's stop talking about this stuff so clearly it's not just you and glennon 
Yeah, Jessica Knoll is a really yeah. evolved, powerful, strong, ambitious woman, and here she is struggling the same way. Yeah, you know what her point in that was, which I wasn't even thinking of, but is also totally true. It's not just the time I waste internally thinking about it, but her point in that article is how which her, she wanted to issue like a challenge to women to go to lunch with your female friends and don't talk about food or mm-hmm. diet. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of friends who it is predominantly what we talk about and yeah and so this isn't just this is like double waste of time this is my internal dialogue waste of time and waste of time in discussions with 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 other women and it's just it's all around just take all those minutes (laughs) steal them back and you'd have lifetimes to be not worried about or thinking about something is stupid as that sorry wow. you know what I mean wow I do yes. it's funny because my one poem that doesn't really fit in to like the love theme and and, mm-hmm. and some of my other themes also has to do with body but in a completely oh. different way mine is mother load on page 65 Kate Bear oh. mm-hmm. she said she keeps an office in her sternum, the flat bone in the center of her chest with all of its urgent papers, vast appointments, list of minor things. In her vertebrae, she holds more carnal tasks, milk jugs, rotten plants, heavy bottom toddlers, and all their mortal rage. She keeps frustration in her hallux, senseless chatter, jealous fangs, the spikes of a dinosaur's tail. The belly is more complicated, all heartache and ambition, fires and tidal waves. In her pelvis, she holds her labors, long and slippery. In her clavicle, silent things, money and power, safety and choice, tiny banquets of shame. In her hands, she carries their egos, small and flimsy. In her mouth, she holds their laughter, gentle currents, a cosmos of everything. And I love this one, not just yeah. for the, again, the beautiful imagery, but also the mixing of motherhood and selfhood. She's got dinosaur tales with urgent papers and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and my and ambition with children's laughter. And funny enough, I don't speak to any of my friends about food or diet or, you know, those kind of or exercise, except for you. And we don't talk about it a lot. <laughs> But you're the only one. But but I remember having a lunch with you mm-hmm. and I said how, for me, it was motherhood, but that I needed something to bring me back into my body. That at some yeah. point in my 20s, I moved from maybe like a very hormonal, carnal teenager into a brain that had no body attached to it and I really just made all of my decisions with logic and I was like I felt like just a floating head with no body attached to it and motherhood pregnancy childbirth but way beyond that I mean those are the obvious things that I think people talk about a lot but for me it was really after that when I had to become a mother that I had to be in my body decide from my body when I needed more sleep when I needed help when I was overwhelmed and and motherhood brought all of those things for me and it brought me into my body and this poem I don't know just the whole concept of 
where we hold these things in our body. Yeah. When you said that, as you know, at that launch, I was like, oh my God, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Nodding my head, like still a floating head, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And, and I've, have been doing some things to sort of get back in my body and, and doing work on that. But yeah, when I, when you read this, that's what I was thinking about how we hold things in different parts of our body. Mm -hmm. And yes, when I, I, do acupuncture now as you know I, I live and die by that literally I feel as if it's saving my life and I I, I know that's super dramatic but the you know how I feel about my acupuncturist yes. I, I believe he's been sent here yeah like from the universe uh, and I'm just like oh my god my neck and and shoulders are always so tense and I just now to me it's like I can connect it with the tension like I know it's trapped in there I almost can like see it and yes. I'm starting oh. to kind of put the pieces together. And, you know, I, I just think that is even a big deal for me to have kind of connected the, the mind-body stuff. And yeah, I, I, I've started the, the Body Keep score. I have. Yeah. I've not finished uh -huh. it, Corinne, but yeah. I know yeah. You, yeah. you love it. Um, yes. I think you should still read the book. But I got to tell you, that poem did more, like, just summed it up for me yeah. in a yeah. way that I mean it's a it's a more academic text than mm -hmm. than this poem yeah. which really like just shot through me and I but I didn't one. realize I mean I sort of always knew this in theory again rationally that you know things that happen to you inside emotionally can affect your body and how it functions but but I'm surprised so many people don't get the mind body connection thing like what are you talking about oh, I'm like yeah. oh forget it I can't. oh gosh I it I took can't me explain a, this yeah but it took me all I was one of those I, I get really like oh, okay I, I, I didn't feel it but when you explained it to me I wouldn't go well, that doesn't make any sense to me I think it made sense I just think it's one thing to intellectually to make sense and now I'm actually starting to really understand it but yeah I no get, no were you, you one of those that's like that I just was makes no sense I oh, I was almost like I'm sorry I don't speak French or I don't like you like spoke <laughs> like really I just I couldn't even comprehend what was oh, being said okay. yoga was the real introduction mm. to the to the intellectual like understanding of the mind-body connection it was motherhood that put it all together for me but yoga introduced those concepts and I remember just like the teacher being like when you're doing a twist do you feel something coming up I'm like what comes up and she and she would be like anxiety or frustration and I'm like what what are you like what like you're actually talking about two different things you're asking me to put my body in a place and then you're talking about these weirdo feelings I didn't get it at all okay. and I remember okay yeah yeah. And I still bristle at the, the question, even though it's truly a good question. I was watching some sh reality show last night and they, the woman was seeing a therapist for the first time. And she's like, I just feel, I don't remember what she said, angry. And she's like, well, where do you feel angry? I'm like, what do you, where do you feel angry? In your head, in your mind. Like, that's where you feel angry. <laughs> and my friend Christy is also very good with this. She will ask me if I write her like a scathing email about something and she'll say, where do you feel it in your body? And I'm always like, oh, God, it's such a good question, but it's so hard to answer. Yeah. I'm getting better. I really am. And what are some of the answers meaning like in I, my stomach? Uh, in yeah. My heart, like are, are, yes. they literally mean like a body part. And oh, I've now started to differentiate because sometimes it's a closing of my throat 
or sometimes it's a marble in my throat or sometimes it's a like a fluttering in my stomach or it's sometimes oh, it's a rock in like my a, stomach like a constricting of my chest yeah. a lot yeah. that would be See? one that I would use like I feel like there's an elephant on my chest or I feel yeah or my stomach a lot too oh I'm gonna pay attention now this is interesting ask yourself okay. all the time but then yeah. what is it the difference if I said it was then do you know the next part which is if I said it was my stomach what does that mean versus if it's like your head or your doesn't matter or... no, no 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 it doesn't matter you just have to I start got it. feeling you just have to start feeling yeah, it and then okay. your answers will get better the, the the answers don't lead to another answer your answers will get better you'll you'll understand more like and then eventually you'll know a rock in my stomach versus a, you know, twisting of my stomach. A twisting of my stomach is manageable. The rock in the stomach means I've ignored this too long. And like, oh, you'll start okay. to understand those differences. Like, how oh. old How old is this problem in my body? Oh, this is fascinating. Has it, has okay. it solidified or is it still in a stage where I can help flush it out? Wow. Well, you just got yourself another job because that's yeah. what you needed, Corinne. Okay. <laughs> you haven't I, been assisting me enough. I now you have more. willingly take that on. It's, it oh, is cool. such a wonderful experience for me. Okay. Every time. Right. Every time I have to think about it. And it's frustrating. Don't get me wrong. You will be frustrated because usually you're in the thick of the feeling. it, And then I'm going to yeah. come back to you not with good advice, not with my own experiences I'm going to come back to you and say where do you feel this in your body and you're going to be like oh can we just talk about it like let's just yeah. talk about it <laughs> okay <laughs> oh but, well, you you do this to me a lot though in other ways where I you push and yes. I like it I'm yeah. like oh well, fuck I gotta think about that then mm. next we're on the next next phase next level <laughs> Yes. Okay. Oh my gosh. All well, right. Thank you, so Mother Load. Back to <laughs> I have one from Rupee from Milk and Honey on page 74. I have two of hers I have to do, but this one will be quick. Okay. But I it's called the type of lover I need. Mm. I need someone who knows struggle as well as I do. Someone willing to hold my feet in their lap on days it is too difficult to stand. The type of person who gives exactly what I need before I ever know I need it. The type of lover who hears me even when I do not speak is the type of understanding I demand. Mm. Oh, that's a good one. I didn't even, I don't even remember that one. Oh, that's good. I mean, it's really aspirational. Let me just <laughs> say that. But this idea of like someone just getting you and right. there being an unspoken understanding of what you need i'm not saying that whatever replace you know communication yeah, yeah and yeah. expressing your needs or frustrations but i love this idea of someone understanding you so well that they anticipate them and mostly because i'm not good at asking for help mm -hmm. or saying hey you know i need to just sit down and put my feet up on your lap yeah. as this says like uh -huh. I'm not very good at that I'm not so this idea that someone would maybe just know yeah this this type of understanding could exist just really appealed to me I'm like, oh, I like that one I think I need that yeah <laughs> it's yeah. the type of lover I need that's yeah. the name of the title right so oh uh, yeah let me do the other one this is on page 138 I think this one I think might be my favorite I hesitate to say favorite you know I don't like favorites <laughs> what I miss most is how you loved me but what I didn't know was how you loved me so much to do with the person I was 
it was a reflection of everything I gave to you coming back to me. How did I not see that? How did I sit here soaking in the idea that no one else would love me that way when it was I that taught you, when it was I that showed you how to fill the way I needed to be filled, how cruel I was to myself, giving you credit for my warmth simply because you had felt it, thinking it was you who gave me strength, wit, beauty, simply because you recognized it as if I was already not these things before I met you, as if I did not remain all these once you left. Oh my, that is Is that the best one? I just feel like this is so good. Oh my God, that is so perfectly you and some of the discussions we've been having. (laughs) Oh, wow. Holy cow, right? The whole discussion we had on the love episode about the theme of the one that got away acting as a mirror and you said so the one that got away is you oh but that's but but this is it it's a whatever it is you see it's a reflection of you like i you know what i mean i'm all those things and how cruel I was. Yes, to that. Yes, I love the, that. That takes goes, it next level. That's yes. not just like I own myself. It's like, why was I doing this to myself by giving you credit for my warmth simply because you felt it? Oh, yes. Oh, and it goes with my other one about why, how I thought I had to be perfect to love mm-hmm. myself. Yeah. I mean, uh-huh. come on. What do you mean? You have all these wonderful things. Yes, someone else saw them, but they're you. They are oh. you. That is what the person sees. I, you need to see it. Oh, oh. I just loved that. Oh, right? that As is good. Was, yeah, really good. So I have two that are along my same theme that we talked about in the love episode, but they're a little different. This is what I was saying in the beginning, that I feel like a whole world of metaphor, of art, of imagery, of ideas were opened up to me in these poems. Mm -hmm. But so my first one is from uh, Kate Bear, page 35, for the advice cards at bridal showers. <laughs> go to bed angry i i mean right there she got me with the first line at a bridal shower my advice to you is go to bed angry wake <laughs> up with a plan when someone asks you for the secret to a happy marriage remember you don't know this is not a happy ending this is not a fairy tale this is the beginning of a life you haven't met it doesn't matter how much you fall down on your knees Brown the buttered pan. Time will reveal love's complication, gloom, and happiness. For now, just remember how you felt the day you were born. Desperate for magic, ready to love. And oh, that, I, I love that one. I'm so glad you did oh, this one. I wanted you to do this one. Oh, I love it. I love it. And I love her ending. The idea that, okay, time will reveal love's complication gloom and happiness that's true but then her last lines in a poem I don't know it worked for me she's basically saying just remember how you felt she says the day you were born but I think it obviously links to getting married the day you marry someone you are desperate for magic and ready for love love. and Mm -hmm. I that's that's the best you can do because the the hard times will come, but if you remember how you felt, desperate for magic, ready to love, I, that blew me away. It's, I love that. That is one. amazing. And then 
the same theme in Milk and Honey, page 109, it doesn't have a title. I don't know what living a balanced life feels like. When I'm sad, I don't cry, I pour. When I am happy, I don't smile, I glow. When I'm angry, I don't yell, I burn. The good thing about feeling in extremes is when I love, I give them wings. But perhaps that isn't such a good thing because they always tend to leave. And you should see me when my heart is broken. I don't grieve, I shatter. Mm. And that was also to me just... I love two parts about it. The The feeling in extremes is just something yeah. I can't not do. Like that is mm-hmm. just. That when is I, you. I like yeah, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I'm sad, I don't cry. I pour. When I'm happy, I don't smile. Mm-hmm. I glow. It's it's so extreme. And then the again, this idea of the most important thing in your life is both things. It, it both breaks you and it makes you. And it is, you know, something that is good and bad. And I, I think that exists in, in every important thing and certainly in marriage and relationships and all of that. So I loved the, her imagery there and how she tied it together in a way I hadn't seen. And, and the whole start of it, like no balanced. I'm not doing balanced. The, I prefer the it all comes out in the wash, right? That right, at the right, end, right. I will have gotten my time. You will have gotten your time, you know. We would have each taken one on the chin. We will have each been the one in the spotlight. And I just, I don't know. I just, that's what I read out of that poem. And I really love it. Yeah. I love that. And, and I just had a conversation with a friend too, who I was kind of saying, I wasn't being critical. Maybe I was, but where, you know, she can be so dispassionate. Like Mm -hmm. she, it's the exact opposite of what you're saying. And, and she's starting to realize that, like maybe she needs to feel more. I'm like, yeah. like everything you're you're having a conversation about your husband, which is pretty significant, and you mm-hmm. sound like like a clinical, like right, right, and or like don't you ever like when you upset, don't you just cry, or when you're mad, don't you yell? Like what is this always being in this like dispassionate tone? She's like, yeah, that's probably not good. That's the frozen heart. I'm like, well, I don't know, but I'm just right. saying you might want to think about it. Like, like you never get like, all, it's always like that. Like, I don't know. I think you're, what they're describing in here is awesome. It means you feel, I mean, yeah. truly feel things. Yeah. And I that mean, can be extremes. It, for sure. For me, it definitely is. I know not oh, everyone, yes. I mean, it, and not everyone is ever going to be like that. And probably it would be too disconcerting for most people to live like that I don't know how else to be so I that is just who I am but that brings me back to Glennon and Untamed if you're not feeling all the things then you're not doing something right yes (laughs) you know all the feelings yeah you have to their feelings are for feeling not for thinking let's move into what she said I already used my Kate Bear one Bear one okay so I have a Kate Bear one. She was asked in an interview, why do you connect with poetry? And she said, poetry is so boiled down. It's straight to the heart. That's what I love so much about it. It can be like reading your favorite novel in one paragraph. And I thought about that. And and I really feel like that does capture what I'm remembering that I loved about poetry is that even in this short 
span like the ones we've talked about look at this already like it doesn't take a lot of words necessarily it's just the ability to capture all these thoughts and emotions and feelings that maybe a whole movie we watched we end up reaching you know a conclusion or about a theme and in just this in one paragraph or in four lines these same feelings or themes can come out and they feels complete even though it is you know just a short poem and and i i was left after some of these feeling a lot of ways that i do after reading an entire novel and i thought that is a great way to describe it and i think that probably is why a lot of people connect with poetry and i hadn't thought about it that way but when she said it i thought yeah i I think that's one of the things i like or am i remembering that i like see that i agree with that but i agree with it for insta poets and i think that i did feel that way when i used to read what the the more traditional poetry and i had forgotten which we'll talk about in takeaways but this reminded me that i i actually did have some of these feelings before particularly the it going straight to the heart Mm, i do like that there's something about poetry i don't know it does it's sort of like a main lines it for me so yeah i like that i like that too and what about rupee she was a very fun rabbit hole for me to go on down Mm. Uh, there's not a a libra oh one of the things that rupee said and you had alluded to it before that she said I think someone asked her, what advice would you give to people who are aspiring? I I don't even think it was just aspiring poets, but it really applies for anything. She said, you have to work really, 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 really hard for your dreams. That's four reallys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she said she worked her butt off to get where she wanted to be and that she doesn't take anything for granted. And still, even this interview was pretty recent, she still wants her dreams to grow and expand and get bigger. And I think her entire career has hit this mark. As you mentioned, she self-published Milk and Honey while she was a senior in college and was contacted by a publisher, similar to the way we talked about Jamie McGuire in the Love episode, and they were like, no, we want to publish this. So she like quick got a lawyer, an agent and a manager. You know, like no one self-publishes and then has to scramble to get an entire team together to put together a book because a publisher is dying to put it out. And at the time, she was also studying for the LSATs because she still wanted to be a human rights lawyer, which she still thinks about that that was. Yeah. So, and this is something we've talked about a few times with Ellen Hildebrand and Julia Quinn, Emily Giffen, of course. I'm just in awe of these women who sit at this intersection of craft and business. Like, I want to make important, thought-provoking work, but I really want to be an author-entrepreneur. I think that's the perfect intersection. She considers herself a career author who wants to be around for the next 30 to 40 years. So she talks about her vision like as a brand, as a business. And brand Mm. is such a dirty word these days, but... But and she talks about how she runs her office, how she makes decisions of what she does, you know, based on what they want to do, not only for revenue, but projecting image. She'll say like she'll get an offer for sponsorship and she'll love the product, whatever it is, but she won't do it because it's not 
perfectly in line with who she is Mm -hmm. she's like i can't sell i love this face lotion but i can't sell it because it's not who i am and i I, that to me was just a like really refreshing and also shocking at how much she turns down and is willing to just hustle herself instead because she knows that's that's really what she's selling and and but she has to know herself for that too which i love like you've got to know your authentic self and your brand she knew that when she got that book deal for milk and honey in 2015 now mind you she had already she knew her power a little bit because she had a rabid and sizable following on tumblr and instagram at that point so so when so she did have power when she was publishing her first book and the publisher was like okay so this is the deal we'll put out a hardcover and then a year later we'll put out a paperback and she was like no I don't want to do that you're going to put out a hardcover and it's going to be 28 to 30 dollars and the people that love my poetry aren't going to pay 28 to 30 dollars to buy a hardcover book that's not important to them and so they did it backwards and you she the way she talks about it you would think she was like I want to publish this in you know Harry Potter language or something like that was actually not possible because they the industry had such a hard time wrapping their head around it and she insisted and she was right she yeah she demanded that they switch the order they ended up doing a hardcover for people who did want it a year later but you have to wonder if that's what put her on the New York Times bestseller list. She's like, I know this book can be purchased for nine to fifteen dollars, even though it's twenty dollars. Barnes and Noble is going to put it on forty percent off, and Amazon right, will sell it right. for cheaper, and so people can get my book for nine to fifteen dollars easily. She's obviously stood the test of time, so it's not that. But I have to wonder what that contributed to her being an instant New York Times bestseller and there for so long that people can buy a book for you know, a couple dollars and get so much out of it. Yeah. Very smart of her. Wow. I know. I know. And no one offered it to her. They only threw up obstacles. And she was like, no, this is absolutely what I need to do. I think this goes really well with my quote about her too, Mm. is just of her sort of having the strength of conviction and knowing what's best for her. So I read an article where she was talking about her, actually her difficult relationship with Instagram which is interesting given her yeah. success on it but just how she got too immersed in responding to the readers and in comments which we just talked to Alicia Rye about that there's a, there's good and bad to having a, a presence on social media and that she had to remember you know that she was really writing and doing these things for herself not for all these commenters and people and it said she said I get the most love online for love poems and heartache so there was a time really really early on in 2014 when all of my friends were like okay well don't you think that that's what you should just focus on writing about that's clearly what's going to sell the most books and that's what people love they would compare likes and shares for a certain piece versus one about say sexual violence and that was really challenging She said, I was like, oh, no, because obviously I want to put food on my table. So then should I not do that? And she said she tried for a month and the only pieces I shared and wrote were love and heartache pieces, but it didn't feel genuine at all. So I was very lucky to be self-aware about that. But that's when I took a step back and was like, no, 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 you have to write for you. 
this is where you started and that's the route you always need to go back to and I was thinking you know about we've talked about it even for our novel and that I just read that and I thought you know you felt very strongly that you have to write the story you want to write and mm -hmm. you know you can't get stuck on you know what genre it is or what the trends are and because it can be debilitating it can also send you down rabbit holes and mm -hmm. and this you have to write for you and that mm. that's what she always goes back to and I think that's a good sort of compass you know yes and it's just amazing that her compass seems so strong in both I mean she does she even in what you read she's got to put food on the table she doesn't deny that she wants she doesn't want to be a starving artist you know the quote-unquote starving artist the this portrait of of someone who is tortured for their work she wants to make a living at mm -hmm. it but also she has to be true to herself and that's where she's smart enough to know that that's where the real connection comes from i don't care how many likes you get on one post the real connection from comes from being authentic oh boy are we are we into our crystal ball i think we are oh gosh <laughs> our very unique crystal ball i know do you want to throw up too or is it just me the whole concept made me want to throw up. Yeah. Uh, when we decided to do this episode, that was what I started with. It was right. the only you thing. I didn't even look this. at poems. I was like, what am I going to write? And I ended with this. I and know. I had told you I'd written a few, but I could not decide. Because here's the thing. I wrote, so I have two today. Mm -hmm. Because I kind of wrote one for you. It is <laughs> my effort to... It was when I was struggling with this idea of the one that got away and how I was mm -hmm. having such a hard time understanding it and right. and what it would look like and what it would mean to me and how that I could see it. I felt okay. like I wanted to to share it. Well, I, I need to hear it. So. Okay. <laughs> okay. Obviously. So the crystal ball comes from Kate Bear's Dearly Beloved. And I won't read the whole poem because it's long so the part that mm -hmm. I took from was I got engaged when I was 18 to a boy I would never marry I loved him more than anyone has ever loved and still I cut him open held his heart to his throat when I am buried tell him that the only thing I meant to do was live so that's the wow. bear part and then yeah. so I thought who who is this woman where is she now what does she think about that and so I wrote this and it's not we, we both said this it's not they're not traditional poems we were trying to write stories but the poems bled into it so it's kind of a hybrid maybe I got engaged when I was 18 to a boy I would never marry we loved each other the way only two 18 year olds could we were still small, made to fit in our childhood bedrooms, sleeping in twin beds. Freshly released, we grew larger by the moment, ballooning to fill the open space around us. We had part-time jobs and full-time school and still an excessive amount of time to explore. Cities, bodies, selves. We took the subway to see Green Day performing on a lawn in Central Park on a Tuesday night. We had no plans, no tickets. We didn't even like Green Day, though there was that one song, a different song for each of us. We listened and we heard it all. I got engaged when I was 18 to a boy I would never marry. We got engaged because I was pregnant. We didn't marry because we had choices. 
I loved him the best I could without ever having learned to love. I did pretty well. He, on the other hand, was perfect in the way he looked, the way he loved me, and the way he left me. I deserved it, all of it. When I was 40, I saw the boy I loved when I was 18. I asked him to come because I was dying. I, couldn't think, I didn't think of him right away, not at all. For months, I pictured my children growing old without me, my husband alone, my parents still alive, arranging my funeral like they had my sweet 16, my wedding, my baby shower. He wasn't the first person I thought of, but I thought of him incessantly, like a song you didn't want to hear but couldn't get out of your head. I needed to know who he was. I wanted to show him who I was. It was important to compare notes. I saw the life he had, and I saw the life we would have had if we'd stayed together. It was everything I wanted. It was everything I had with someone else. He could be my husband. I could be his wife. Two lives. Double vision. This made me proud of both of us for knowing which part of ourselves were non-negotiable and which parts we could give away. When I was 40 and dying, I saw the boy I loved when I was 18 and alive. We had given each other closure long ago. I had no last dying wishes. I didn't know why I needed to see him, but it was arranged anyway. You look exactly the same, he said. I laughed and coughed. Machines beeped. And you have the same sarcastic sense of humor, I said. He sat down beside me, unafraid the way so many visitors are, oblivious to the jarring vision of a hospital bed at home. I mean it, he said, your eyes. Your eyes look exactly the way I remember you. I nodded and understood. He looked exactly the same, too. How many times had that smile greeted me, wide and welcoming, as the ocean on a hot summer day? It felt like the first time and the millionth time. You still write songs, he asked, eyeing the notebook on my nightstand. I still sing, too, I said, not with the same power, but it's there. I believe it, he said. I believed him, too. That's what we did. We believed each other, even when there was no reason to. And you, are you still writing stories, I asked. Couldn't stop even if I wanted to, he said. We weren't stuck in the past. No, our connection was timeless. He put his hand on mine. It was dry and cool, his touch, his presence, his knowledge of me. He made me feel infinite. Later that night, surrounded by my children, in the arms of my husband, with the memory of every version of me, I died at home and at peace. God, I'm crying. <laughs> I think I'm crying. Okay, I'm oh. back. I think I'm dead. <laughs> That was fantastic. I think I kind of nailed it for myself, meaning like I didn't get the idea of the one I that got away, did. but I th this captured it, right? It did. It totally did. But while also staying true to you, I feel like, and your views generally. Oh, that was beautiful. Yay. Oh my God. Yay. I'm seriously Yay. Although it's very, in a weird way, similar to mine. I Same theme. Yes, but it's yes, not yes. weird for me because obviously it is a theme. But I love that. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was beautiful. And how you kept working in line from the poem. I love that. Oh, God. I just, I'm going to need a minute. I hear you. 
Oh, women's. Okay. I just have so much to say to that, but I'm just going to look. It also had me thinking of Mallory from 28 Summers. Okay. I'm fine. I'm totally fine. (laughs) Where do you feel it, Kate? (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, God. I don't even know. We're going to have to work on that. I feel it in my chest. I actually do. I feel it in my chest. Okay. Does that? I do. Okay. Sure, I should do mine. Uh, Yeah. No, I guess I have to, but I see we're exploring a similar theme. So I chose a rupee poem and i think it is only this line i think this is the entire poem you might not have been my first love but you were the love that made all the other loves irrelevant Mm. interesting theme here i love that yeah Mm -hmm. when she agreed to meet him for coffee she had no plan when she tells the story to her friends later no one will believe her what do you mean you didn't know what you were thinking She will swear she just wanted to talk to him. They didn't have much time at the reunion, or the time they managed to steal was stunted, interrupted, busy. She felt like they didn't get a chance to really talk. But talk about what? She arrives at the coffee shop early because she doesn't know how to be late. She sips a coffee even though she doesn't drink afternoon coffee. Who can sleep after that? But she tells herself it would be weird to invite someone to coffee and then drink water. What she really wanted to do was suggest they grab a drink. Not because she needs the social lubricant, but because she loves bars. They love bars. They used to flirt in them, kiss in them, ignore each other in them, storm out of them. But a drink made it all seem sexy and serious. So this is how she finds herself pushing the paper sleeve up and down her 12-ounce paper cup filled with a hot liquid that only burns her already uneasy stomach. Be cool, she tells herself. Ha! She laughs at the thought of that even being a possibility as she sees him stride towards her table. That gate. His gate. A rush of a million memories hits her, a million moments of him walking towards her. She didn't know something as simple as a stride could feel so familiar. She grips the coffee cup tight for fear it will slip out of her hand like he once slipped out of her life. How did that happen, she thinks. When he sits across from her, she asks, on a scale of one to crazy, where do I fall? He laughs. Her directness always did amuse him. He never thought she was crazy, and she isn't now. Or is she? I mean, she did ask him here out of nowhere. It's just, when she has something to say, she has to say it. I was always like that, wasn't I? Yeah, you were. (laughs) I know. Like he does know. Like he understands everything she's about to say before she even says it. The knowing in his eyes hits her hard, knocking more words out of her mouth. Was I always like this when I had something on my mind, she asks, because it occurs to her he would know. He would know. Yes, he says, you were always like this. He says it with certainty, like something he remembers fondly. The warmth of his knowing encourages and emboldens her, opening her up like a valve releasing tension. She tells him she feels like they didn't get a chance to really talk at the reunion. The words she has practiced come out quickly and smoothly, technically correct and on the surface logical. She claims she wanted to right that wrong. But then, 
What happened to us? She blurts out. Why did it end? Why did we end? She suddenly needs to know everything, to piece together every missing memory and detail of the years they spent together. The more they talk, the more blurred timeline of images comes into focus. The more they talk, the more she sees herself reflected back in his eyes. Wait, who is this girl I'm looking at? She thinks. I remember her. She was cool. She squints harder to get a better look, blinded by and afraid of what she may find, but unable to look away. His eyes. She wasn't ready for those. She wasn't ready for what she would see in them, for the acceptance, for the connection, for the love. How could there still be love? In that moment, she realized why she really asked him here today. She wanted to feel something. And he was a main line to her heart, a razor blade to her wrists, the thing that would make her blood flow, the match to ignite the extinguished pilot light in her heart, the missing key. Oh, so this is why she did this. Fate or her subconscious or the universe had a plan. She just didn't know it. But now she does. Now she realizes in this moment that although there had been other loves, they were irrelevant. They were irrelevant not because they weren't good people, not because there wasn't love between them. They were irrelevant because he was the love that made her love herself. Only he could do that. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. There was some something about looking in and being blinded she squints harder to get a better look yeah. blinded by and afraid of what she may find blinded by and away. afraid i love yes. that yes. and also the the bars oh my god it's not mm. just of course it's the kissing of course but it's also the storming out and the oh i loved mm. that yeah oh yeah, so good okay and you have another i do i do and it came from kate bears when i ask my grandmother why she let him come back home and this is the poem there's so much more to love I would have missed it the ducks and children children calling from the yard the way he'd say you are so beautiful one cannot complete the other one cannot hold on to brokenness the cruel things we could have done I would have missed the ball games his eyes searching across a swarming table the thrill of spring and heavy snow Think about it. Every wedding, every Sunday, every light strung across the living room. I would have missed all of this. And so the poem is the grandmother's perspective. But immediately what I wanted to know is who is the granddaughter asking this question? And why is she asking? Like who goes like, Grandma, why did you let him come back home? And immediately I thought, well, she has cheated. And she wants to know what makes something worth forgiving and what doesn't and and how do you decide those things and and even if she believes she's worthy of forgiveness how does it happen and so i wrote i love it yeah so i I wrote i forgive you for free which is um yeah like sleeping with other people one cannot hold on to brokenness my grandmother told me but that's exactly what I do. I walk through the front door, my love for you in pieces, shards I hold gently in my hands. You notice the care. 
You still love me, don't you? He says. It's not a question today. It's a statement. I do still love him. I never stopped loving him, not for a single solitary minute, not even when I hated him, not even when I was with someone else. Can we fix it? I ask. He shrugs. I'm sorry for what I did. Silence. There's nothing worse to me than silence because my head is never quiet. I fill the void with my own stories. You should be sorry. You're garbage. This is just like you. I have to stop doing this. Better to say the wrong thing, anything, than nothing. Are you sorry too? I ask. I didn't do anything. Maybe that's what you did. That's not fair. It's not, I admit. I'm embarrassed. My grandmother made it sound so easy, a decision made decades ago that she doesn't regret now. But what was it like when she was making it? Did my grandfather make it harder on her like I am for him now? Did he give her the space when I cannot? Space is the last thing we need after all that time with an unbridgeable gulf between us. There's so much more to love, I say. What's that supposed to mean, he asks. I look down at my socks. I don't know what it means. When my grandmother said it, it seemed important, but now I can't remember how she said it. There's so much more to love, more than this last year, the fights, the missed connections. There's so much more to love than what you see of me right now. The betrayal, the lies, the shame. There's so much more to love than to hate, even when you looked at me like everything I did was wrong. I made too much money, I used it to control. I was too loud, I used it to stay the center of attention. I was too aggressive, I used it as a defense mechanism. But those were the things you loved about me in the first place. I made money, you wanted independence. I was loud, you couldn't find your voice. I was aggressive, you felt like a victim. I should say all of this, remind him. I'd win him over with a big speech, or maybe a poem. I'm running out of time to convince him, but if I do change his mind, then we have all the time in the world. How confusing love is. It gets you all twisted up inside and out. I could say, there's so much more time to love and put this behind us. We're young. We can recover. We can recover even though there's no reason to try. No mortgage, no kids, only an oath. We can recover because there's no reason to try. There's so much more to love than reason. I say none of this. I should have divorced you, right? When I finally speak, these are the words that come out of my mouth. <laughs> he looks up, surprised. That was the order of things, right? I should have divorced you first. If that's what you wanted, he says. I never wanted anyone else besides you, but I needed to be wanted for me. You should have talked to me. Talked to you? I tried a million times. I told you I wasn't happy. I told you what my issues were. You were blaming me, he says. I didn't want to feel tolerated for the things I brought to the table. I wanted partnership. You wanted me to be wrong, so I did something wrong. You should have talked to me, he says again. We talked. Neither of us listened. He walks away. I hear the TV turn on in the other room. Talking heads know everything, and I know nothing. We go to sleep in the same bed. How's the book, I ask. He doesn't shrug. He doesn't say fine. He asks me if I knew that eels can adapt from salt water to fresh water and that their blood is poisonous and that they die after they breed. Wow, that's something to look forward to, I say. He laughs. I try to read, but I'm too tired. I turn out my lamp. He turns on his nightlight. 
It's not fixed, he says. I know, I say. Not yet, but we understand something that we lost sight of. We are only broken when we're not together. Five years later, our son will be born. If he comes to me someday and asks me if he should let his wife come back home, I will say, if you don't, if he didn't, if she didn't, we would have missed all of this. That is so good. <laughs> oh my God. That one I, I took feel really the same. literally. I need the words. Yes. yes. No, you did. But but I took it but, very literally. I did the six months and the five years the way we used you to do crystal balls. Did you did it? That, that was one was so really good. fun. I really took a lot of what she wrote and kind of said, "Well, what does that mean?" And something you yes. totally like could you could imagine this like granddaughter asking her grandmother, and as her grandmother's telling her, she's like, "Okay, I get it." And then she goes home and tries it with her husband, and her husband's like, "What?" what are you talking yeah, you're about like, this doesn't why and she's like wait why doesn't this work what did my grandmother yeah, say again ex- exactly oh, like how do you put it into practice right and also that she can say that and asking her grandmother was a useless exercise because it's so old and she can probably imagine that in you know 50 years she'll she'll think of it so easily too but in the moment how do you do it Yes. Oh my God, it was so beautiful. Yay. So this brings us very naturally to our takeaway, which is basically that neither one of us wanted to do this episode. We thought we had no connection to poetry. We thought we don't like poetry. Poetry is not our thing. And could it have been any more the opposite by the time we were done? Just polar opposite <laughs> and you realized that I hoodwinked you because yeah. <laughs> I love this I love uh, this story. you're like I so you we had a conversation yes. and you're like no I just I do not like poetry I've never liked poetry and I'm like yeah no me neither yeah yeah totally totally <laughs> and, then, and then I'm like wait a second I feel like I used to write poetry it's like yes you I, did I, mention I, that my, first yes you were like I think yeah, I wrote bad poetry when I was in high school or something yeah, so then I went to the attic and to my boxes, my Lucy from Broken Hearts Gallery collection of things. <laughs> I also wasn't Lucy right. until I was. <laughs> and I found all my journals because I really was looking for the journal where I swore I wrote poetry. But but also I was looking for the, the thing I was going to say about this type of poetry and I think you said it earlier that it's almost like quotes, right? A lot of these poems read to me like quotes and I was big into quotes I used to have yes. also this one oh, whole diary too. of quotes <gasps> oh yes and that's oh, what my these feel like yes. to me and they were quotes that spoke to me right there was something about them and and I would keep them and that's this these felt like books that were filled with those only about themes that really kind of apply to me more now and I couldn't find my book of quotes, but instead I found my high school journals where I did write a lot of bad poetry that I showed you, which a lot of the themes were pretty much similar to they are now. So I don't know what that says. That was wild to me. That was wild to me. And we were having this conversation in the context of the one that got away. We couldn't decide if it was a personality thing, but we've clearly decided that it is because you had been drawn to the one that got away before there was a one or a one that got away. 
you know, Correct. like, like this in is... sophomore year of high school, right. I didn't have the one. I certainly hadn't gotten away. And I'm writing poetry that, again, until I showed it to you, you were like, oh, hello. Mm-hmm. Do you realize what you're writing about here? Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is the so same I guess theme. I've just always liked the concept and the theme. Mm-hmm. And I, I was an English major, and we talked about this. I probably took at least one poetry course us a year. <laughs> I had. British Romantic Poetry was my favorite class at Boston College. I took classes with Tennyson and T.S. Eliot and uh, all of the British Romantic Poets. Like, I mean, serious fucking poetry. The heavy hitters. Yes. Heavy hitters. Traditional. Loved it. Yeah. Loved it. So... Which, I, which like, that one really killed. Yeah, that one really killed me because we were both double majors. And the only reason I didn't do political science and English was because I refused to take poetry. And you had to take two semesters of poetry for the English major. And I refused. And, and there you were taking <laughs> there one every single semester. And getting like A's and like writing these crazy like interpretations of them. I mean, I really. That's amazing. Yeah. I I don't know what. So I was writing poetry. I even remembered reading poetry in high school when it wasn't required of me. So why am I pretending I didn't like poetry? Like, I think I told you that Rupi mentioned in an article how much she identifies with Khalil Gibran. And I'm like, oh, my God. The Prophet, his book. Mm. I, I read that in high school for fun. I totally <laughs> forgot about that. Like I, so which then made me go back to looking up his poems, and then I found my yearbook quotes. Right? I mean, I, I, I am. I was such a liar, basically, big fat liar. You weren't. Yeah. You forgot. I mean, I the theme forgot. of 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 this whole podcast for us personally, like that <laughs> goes with yours, like this. Mm-hmm forgetting the needing a mirror then yeah the needing to see yourself again and how it's weird when you see it in your own like 10th grade writing right that was the creepy time portal that was like whoa wow yeah the whole thing oh yeah this episode between this and the love episode i think you're right it I love really it. brought out a lot. I love it. And so this was, so if the poetry episode was met with, with resistance for both of us, I think uncovered a piece of you that you had been, that you had forgotten and that you had been missing. Mm-hmm. And maybe you were perfectly able to function without it. But I think it's, it, it was a really important part of who you are and how you process things and obviously something you're really drawn to. And for me, it opened up something brand new, something I didn't even know I wanted in my life and that I could have in my life. So for both of us really not wanting to do it, I think we got so much out of preparing for this episode. It's kind of crazy. So much. And what an evolution. Mm-hmm. From a, hey, maybe we should cover this book on poems. I know. <laughs> look at this. What a surprising evolution and a wonderful discovery. We want to let you know we've launched a Patreon page where supporters can receive perks like bonus episodes and exclusive content. Because Pop Fiction Women is our passion project, a place where we give women space to show up and offer in-depth analysis in the ways we're used to hearing about male creators and their characters. 
We delve into creativity and psychology with a dash of astrology, and we have so much fun doing it. Just two friends breaking down books, movies, and shows like Normal People, Fleabag, and I May Destroy You. Every single aspect of this podcast we do ourselves, from the preparation to the recording, from the editing to the social media promotion. So we're adding a Patreon platform because we want to keep making the show you love and hopefully expand it even further. So please consider becoming one of our most complicated fans and contributing on Patreon. To learn more, go to patreon.com forward slash popfictionwomen. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at Pop underscore women. For more coverage of the women you love or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.